0: Speak softly, loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling... Welcome, everybody, for another episode of Hollywood Godfather podcast. I'm starting to feel like we're a news bureau now because we are on such current events. We are normally telling stories of the past. This is a combination of the past, a book that was written that I knew the gentleman is written about, know the kids, even the grandkids, and uh, we have the author with us. But first, let me introduce my compadre, my co-writer, Pat Pizzarelli, co-host of the show. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to give Pat the honors of introducing the writer that's joining us and the friend I met and talked to numerous times. While they were writing the book. And um, Pat, if you do the honors, please. Okay, it is an honor
1: indeed. Uh, the name of the book is Columbo, The Unsolved Murder by uh, Don Capria and Edward colombo And we're privileged this evening uh, tonight to have with us Don Capria.
2: Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you both for having me on. It's a pleasure to meet you, Patrick and Gianni. It's great to see you as always.
0: Yeah, I mean we're we're going through something that uh, all of us lived through, or indirectly, or uh, Pat through writing my book, you writing your book, but I was on the ground with Joe Colombo those days. It's so crazy.
2: Yeah, fifty-two so much years happening. ago
0: when I first met him.
2: I so I mean, much I knew him
0: prior to that, but then when he hired Barry Slotnick, and I saw an avenue for me with my ego to become a movie actor. And uh, he worked his magic. I, I don't know. Don, did you, write, did you read James, Patrick's, um, James Patterson's new book?
2: Um, I'm almost through it. So with Barry Slotnick, of course. Anthony Jr. read it. Uh, we both saw it when it came out. I'm, I've actually, uh, I just started a new book, which is more on The Godfather. I've been on such a Godfather kick lately. Which is Mark Seal's book? Uh, oh yeah! Gun oh, take yeah. he the was Canola. on our show. He's a good guy. A yeah, I, lo- I love Mark. Mark, we we interviewed each other uh, during the time that I was writing the Colombo book, and Mark and I have stayed in touch. He's actually one of the blurbs on the back of my book. Um, so, yeah, really great guy and a great writer. Right?
1: Could you tell us uh, the uh, history behind you writing this book?
2: Yeah, the, the try to make it as brief as possible. Was I was working on a. Um, a project, a scripted series. I was mainly a screenwriter. And I was writing a show about Italian kids growing up in Westchester. It was loosely based on my life. And a friend of mine that I knew called me up randomly while I'm doing that show and said, hey, you know, would you ever be interested in doing something on Joe Colombo? And I had mentioned to people prior to that that I wanted to do Joe Colombo's life story. And they had always told me, well, the children are still alive. You would need a blessing to do anything with that. So I just left it alone. And then this person that I got on the phone with, his name was Ray, Ray Bannacore, who Gianni also knows. Um, He called me and just started quizzing me and said, look, we're looking for another writer. And would you like to meet Anthony? I said, sure. So he said, Sunday, meet us at this diner in upstate New York. So I got in a car, left Astoria, drove to upstate at about 1030 in the morning. I sat down at a big round table. At had a nice diner, and we had eggs, and it was Anthony. It was his, his son, Anthony Jr. Uh, it was Ray Vanacore and Driver, and we all just talked a little bit about what I knew uh, from Joe Colombo's life story and why I would be interested in doing it, and I think, I think I wowed them. I think at that meeting, Anthony was very interested to see that I knew so much about things like COINTELPRO and the possible FBI cover-up with the shooting and a lot about the Italian-American Civil Rights League and some of the other people that were involved in the league besides just Joe and, you know, the, the Godfather film. So that was the the dawn of the whole thing, and then it was a three-year project. Okay, well, there's been a, a lot written
1: about uh, uh, Joe Colombo, of course, because of who he was, and, and, of course, the shooting. But you approach it from a different point of view, Could you tell our uh, listeners about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty hefty task in front of me not to just be able to write the book by myself. I, I was writing it along with Anthony Columbo, Joel's oldest son, uh, Anthony Edward Columbo. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Anthony's point of view, there was always going to be this, this possibility of someone saying, Oh, this is a whitewash. And he's not, yeah. he, he's not going to paint a perfect picture of his father. You know, he made some rules in the beginning. And once I knew the rules for the book, it was easy for me to move forward. And the main rule was, I don't want to print anything about my father that i didn't know and up until the time of my father's shooting i never believed my father was a mobster i had there were times where i thought he was because of what was happening in the media my father would get arrested but he would always get out and he would always say don't believe what the newspapers tell you don't believe these fbi men and anthony was harassed by the fbi from the time he was like 19 years old until his father's shooting and then of course, later on, his lifestyle changed and he got involved in, in criminal activity. But up until that time, he said, I'm not going to speak to you about my father's criminal side, but I give you full permission to interview people and get information about that and have us put it into the book.
1: How old was he at the time of his father's shooting? Do you know?
2: About- twenty five, twenty five
1: years old. Okay, So he knew what was going on with with his, uh, his father's life and background
2: by that time, I would assume. N- no, at, at that time, again, he, he told yeah. me. And and in the last two years prior to the shooting, his father was arrested like five times, yes. and all of it just on trumped up charges. And you know, mentioning Barry Slotnick, his attorney, you know, even Barry said that everything that he was facing at the time of the Italian American Civil Rights League, he was going to beat. There was really nothing except for the real estate lying on an application that that gave him the uh, I forget what the exact charges at the moment, but that was the only case that he was going to end up having to do time for.
1: Yeah, I was in I was in the or uh, on the NYPD at the time. He was picketing the FBI building at Sixty Ninth and Third. Uh, we mm-hmm. were there every night. And what? He, yeah, for some crowds. Um uh, I, mean, yeah. I was I was a young cop. Who was only on the job about a year, if, if that. Then
2: it's interesting. So the officer that I interviewed a, a lot, and I still stay in touch with him, is a uh, Tony Do You know that name? No, I don't. So Giuliani Schiozzi is his official name. He was uh, born in Italy. Came here. Uh, And became a police officer. He was actually an orphan when he came here. was adopted and became a police officer in NYPD. He was on the job for about one year. And he was stationed in the press circle uh, on Unity Day 1971. And he was the officer that ran at Jerome Johnson after the bullets started flying. Tackled him. Knocked the gun out of his hand. And cuffed Jerome Johnson. He was also the officer that went with another cop to Roosevelt Hospital. Many people don't know that, you know, Jerome Johnson was still alive at, oh, yeah. at the time that he got shot in the press junket circle. He didn't pass away until about an hour later in Roosevelt Hospital. Um, but I, I tracked him down and, and I, I did a lot of interviewing with him. And he was like yourself one year on the force at the time that all this madness was happening.
1: Yeah, there were, uh, I would say, a minimum of 200 cops there that day. I mean, everywhere uh, for obvious reasons.
2: It was the Uh, Seidman said it was the largest police presence in the history of NYPD at that time. Plus, you had FBI. You know, it was like I can't I can't imagine it not being closer to, you know, 250, including all the feds
1: and uh, undercover people. And uh, uh, when you uh, when you interviewed him, we have to understand, I was only uh, informed you were going to be on the show today. So I haven't had the pleasure of reading your book. I will. But you know you're going to be filling us in basically. He- well, it's funny
0: because uh, I I commented in a blurb about the offer that uh, somebody said something about, and I just gave my two cents on on Instagram and. Don called me right up. <laughs> so I said, wait a minute. Yeah. What are you doing later on tonight? We're going to do this.
2: <laughs> you know, and, and I thought that that could probably be better fit for the topic of, of what we're going over, um, which is, you know, the Godfather film, since there's so much happening with all that. Yes, that's why I reached out to Gianni today was, you know, the, the depiction that of Al Ruddy's version of how all this happened. And, you know, as far as all the people that I've interviewed – you know i've interviewed al ruddy i interviewed johnny i've interviewed uh, quite quite a few people involved with the film directly um it was just it's just interesting to watch is what i'll have to say because it's it's a very much a whitewash. it's very much you know yeah self- yeah the,
1: the critics are, are not in love with that uh, series i mean that uh, mm. to say the least they slammed it yeah uh, but you know what you want to know or or a, a portion of what you're looking for you're looking at the guy who was supposed to be there that day, uh, Gianni Russo. You know, yeah. And, uh, 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 it took me, it was part of history, but at the, at the time, who knew, you know, the Johnny, for the people, for the listeners who weren't uh, subscribers uh, during the time we spoke about this, maybe you want to give a rough background on that day and why you weren't there when you were supposed to be there.
0: Oh, well that on the day, as it means. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I got a call. I don't know if you know this, Don. I got a call from Tommy Bellotti. Okay. And he said to me, you going to the rally. I said, yeah, I'm on the dais. He said, well, the old man don't want you to go, meaning Gambino. I said, what are you talking hmm. about? He said, don't go near it. I said, Tommy, I got to go. The guy got me to part in the movie. He said, <laughs> you're not going. He hung up on me. Yeah. Thank God I called Barry Slotnick because I called Barry. I said, Barry, I got stomach trouble today. I, the only place I'm gonna be sitting is on a toilet, because when they looked at the investigated photographs, the FBI and all that, they saw my name on a chair and I wasn't there. Why
1: wasn't I there?
0: Yeah, which created another whole problem.
1: What but did I, you think? What did you think, Johnny, when you, you were told by by Tommy Bellotti not to go? What went through your mind?
0: Well, we all knew prior, obviously Don didn't, and well, Anthony did, that the whole mm-hmm. other four families were against this rally. Mm-hmm. They called the people not to go. It was supposed to be a much bigger rally, but mm-hmm. they actually campaigned against it. But never thinking, we thought, I my, myself, I thought he just wanted to be a flop compared to the first one.
1: That was a hell of a flop.
0: But <laughs> never thinking they were going to shoot him.
2: So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were probably two hours before the start of the event when the shooting actually happened. So it was still right. preparation. It was only about fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people there at the time of the shooting. Right. Uh, no one had done anything yet. As a matter of fact, Joe was still organizing stuff with – you know because he can't stop working, right? That was who he was. Right. And he was organizing <laughs> – stuff between some of the vendors that were there having arguments about where they were positioned and whatnot. And he just gets, you know, he's a micromanager. Right. And I think that was one of the last things he did was with one, uh, two of the vendors that were having an argument. And then he went back into the press circle to say hello to some people. And that's when the uh, news reporter or the disguise news reporter, Jerome Johnson, yeah. you know, as Joe turned his head from him, pulled out the uh, Menta automatic and shot him three times in the back of the head.
0: Well, that that's obviously what they had planned. Nobody knew that. So, you know, obviously if somebody else knew that, it wouldn't have happened. But no. it's a situation where Tommy's call for me was just not to be involved in it.
2: And I, th- I think that was just feigning support. So yeah. Carl and Joe had had quite a few arguments over it. And, you know, one of the things, which is why it was always funny that there was a promoted story that Joe was taking money from the league in, in actuality, the people that I knew said that Joe couldn't afford to keep it running without bar- borrowing from so many different friends of his, and they were just like, look, you you don't have a budget for this thing, and you're, you're just dumping money into this thing endlessly, he wanted to build the hospital in Brooklyn, built Camp Unity in upstate New York, right. all, all, the, all the funding and all of the time that he was spending and dedicating to that. He was, I guess, losing his business sense towards the other business right. and aggravating a lot of people for the the public display, uh, which you know ended up costing. No, he I life. mean he definitely became an advocate
0: for the for the reasons and the, what he believed in, and yeah. l- the, what he was doing prior to that was secondary at this point, right? So he got right. caught up in it. Got caught up in the. Yeah, I mean, you
1: know, for for our listeners who who, who don't know what the. Uh, the anti-defamation league was uh i mean you know you can explain it better than me uh don
2: yeah so uh joe had always had these these uh sentiments towards the government i think it's probably started mainly after he came back from the war and a lot of people in brooklyn at that time some people don't know that if, if they were italian american immigrant italian immigrants uh, they were messed with by the FBI. There was radios taken from people's homes. There were bank accounts that were frozen. The Italians were obviously uh, on the Axis side, and there were you know a lot of communist Italians. So um, there were a lot of anarchist Italians, and and Joe was an Italian American who was proud of being an American. Goes and fights in the war, sees a lot of action, comes home and sees his neighborhood getting ruffled up by all well, Hoover boys. Mm-hmm. So it started back then, and I think that he just he probably suppressed it for many years. And then in the late 1960s, it sparked up again for him, and he was one of the people that helped found AID, which was uh, run kind of by a bunch of uh, doctors and lawyers, and what Joe thought would be best for the program was to take a background, a backseat, and allow these other people to run the program. Uh, Frank Sinatra was heavily involved in AID. It was a, uh, Americans of Italian descent, I think, was the uh, actual right. um, moniker. So. There, he needed their help after his son was arrested falsely for the coin case in 1970. And they all just kind of backed away and said, look, we're not going to get involved in fighting the FBI. And, and Joe felt they were just in a cushioned position and they liked doing their you know meetings and they liked having their dinners, but they didn't want to really get in the streets. So right. that's when he formed the uh, Italian-American Civil Rights League. And from there, he just took it to the streets himself. He decided, I'm not going to lay in the background anymore. I'm not going to watch this kind of stuff happen. And I'm going to put people to work that want to work. So that's when he recruited, you know, Nat Marcone, And uh, he had uh, Steve Aiello. He had Dick Capazzola, And he had a lot of guys that were already civil rights activists that wanted to really get in the streets and get dirty. So
1: when was he told and by who was he told to back off and why?
0: Well, that was the, after the first rally, they brought him in because he was getting just too much attention. I remember that. I, I can almost remember the Sunday morning that he came down to the neighborhood <laughs> to meet. I mean, they were pissed. And, uh, but, you know, he, he was, he, he, not that he said he wouldn't, he just listened. And they
2: all kissed and said goodbye. And he went back to doing what he was doing. <laughs> He was type A, you know, Uh, I've always said after the the numerous amounts of people I interviewed that knew him uh, and taking all that information in and drawing up a profile that Joe was probably meant to be more of a political figure than he was to be a mob leader. I think his leadership in the streets in that short period of time and all of the different things that he accomplished proved that. You know, it was just, it was something that was in his bones. Well,
0: and just his DNA and his language and his, I mean, mean, his elocution. That's why the way he, I mean, I only heard. uh, Rabisi is portraying him like a street hood. Yeah. With the D's and those. And that wasn't Joe. If you knew Joe, Joe was very eloquent.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a shame too, because I know the series, the offer we're talking about that comes directly from you know, Al Ruddy and oh, yeah. I've inter- I've interviewed Al and I've had, I have him on tape. I have lengthy discussions and Mark seal has interviewed Al Mark seal has interviewed, um, Bob Evans and I, I have, you know, him quoted. I have him, you know, on tape saying about how he, when he arrived at the park Sheridan hotel and he first met Joe Colombo, you know, he's looking through all these, you know, hundred people that are there and then he sees Joe and he sees the guy. And he's just he called him an average looking man, immaculately dressed. And he had he was the antithesis of what you thought a mobster would be. He was a businessman. And, and you know, I think the quote was none of this, you know, I'll kill you or this or that. And that's exactly how they painted the character and the offer was the, the caricature. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I hate to say it. It's what, you know, Jewish producers have done in Hollywood for, for many years, which was just this this over the top. Gangster—that's you know—that's the, the, the image the that's ingrained in Hollywood. And That's yeah, what it's about. unfortunately, the the, uh, the irony is that the Godfather film that Ruddy produced finally got it right, and that's why it's you know one of the greatest films of all time. Is that they 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 took the seasoning of a writer like Puzo and a writer like Coppola, both you know two of the better writers on the planet. Yeah, but you see, they, you know
0: what you're saying there, Don. Puzo and Coppola made that movie.
2: Oh, I'm Ruddy supervised it. Ruddy was happy to be supervising it. <laughs> Evans made sure the funding was there and he put Ruddy on it because Ruddy was cheap, right? Ruddy oh my God, cheap he used to Rudy... sleep
0: on my pool table on, on Elm Drive. I know Al Ruddy a long time before this movie.
2: My and, connection and Al, with
0: Al was Betty McCart, you know.
2: The, the assistant. Yeah. So, you know, Al, I give him all the credit in the world because of what he did, this feat that he did, and so did Anthony, and so... You know, that's why it's kind of upsetting to me is that he was really the hero of The Godfather to stay in the ring, especially going up against Bluthorn and, you know, making sure that Francis had everything that he needed or he was going to detach himself from the project as well. But no, even Lord my Lord. character, he
0: supported me. I was a non-actor and he was yeah. the only person actually spoke up for me. And because even Copeland didn't have any didn't hire me at all. I didn't know audition for Coppola, but they said he's playing Carlo
2: and Joe said it. <laughs> he's playing yeah. Carlo. That's who said it. I, my, my favorite quote, I think it's in the book, in, in our book is that he said, you know, without Joe Columbo's involvement, you know, we wouldn't, maybe wouldn't have a Godfather picture at all, but we definitely wouldn't have the Godfather film that we have today. And, you know, a lot of people that I met that were involved in that film said that because there was many things that he helped bring to the table uh, that kept the authenticity and, you know, kept the New York energy. So, you know, once the, the league made the agreement to work with the film, it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Well, the first thing it means is that publicly, the Italian-American community and everyone accepted it. Because at that time, the league was the strongest force in the oh, yeah. Italian-American community.
0: And he could dictate to communities, which he did, to get locations, even tours that didn't want to participate You know, he he put his his back to it and said, this is what we're going to help them. Yeah, that's what the film is today. That's what we know
2: 50 years later. Yeah, it it was it's interesting to, you know, see these these crafted stories about, you know, especially Bob Evans. I I don't I've never met Bob Evans. I did not get to interview him for my book. But some of the stories that I've read, I've heard. You know, from from people that were in it that said, "This is not true. This is not true. This is false. This is." And I, I knew he was a man that was kind of full of himself, and you know, he was very heavily into the party scene. You know, I oh love his God, yeah. the character. The offer, though. That's I, why I actually, wouldn't even
0: watch it to be honest with you. Yeah,
2: people it must ask be hard. me if I watch it. I'm, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's, the I first knew, episode. The first the episode kid- was hard. I I enjoyed Bob Evans and I enjoyed the Al Ruddy character because I I, I like the way that they have them placed. And, and also the, the Coppola character and the puzzle. But once I see Joe and the way that they're depicting him, he's... he's And it's... So I reached out to Giovanni Ribisi's agent and I believe his publicist. Um, and I, I sent them this information that, look, I'm the authority on Joe Colombo. I also have 14 hours worth of tape that no one has seen before that was filmed during the Italian-American Civil Rights League meetings of Joe Colombo speaking. So you can see his mannerisms, his composure, his delivery, uh, and, and understand how intelligent he is. Yes, he has a heavy Brooklyn accent, probably heavier than Giovanni's right. depicting in the film right. or the TV series, but they declined. And I, I don't know if it got to Giovanni. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that Ribisi didn't even hear that this offer was there. But well, unfortunately, you know, an actor,
0: even though he's a, a reputable actor, when it gets down to the producer and the director... That's the pattern, right? And do your yeah. job. That's what we hired you for
2: it's, it's sad because it's such, it's so much more interesting to, to show smart characters. You know, I think the you know, looking at the Godfather film, your character, uh, every, everyone on that set that you saw had immense pressure at all times on their character and everyone had to make a move. You had decisions to make, you know, including including Carlo, you right. know. So that, to me, showed everybody's intelligence levels. Now, people make mistakes, right? They, obviously, Carlo ill fated for what he did, but he was trying to get ahead. Everyone is is it's that's the beauty of loyalty, right? Is that when you're pitching a film, you have the people that are disloyal, which make these great plot twists, these make these amazing stories, these explosive pieces of art that we see on the moving screen. And, and that's kind of what lacked in the offer for me. is like, well, they don't have, there's no, there's nothing to Joe. He's just this typical bippity boppity, I'm going to gangster, I'm going to shut down the film. But the true, true story was that Joe didn't need to r- result in violence or threaten anyone because he had so much on lock, like the unions. He, they sent a letter out to anyone in New York City and said that right now we are trying to negotiate something with Paramount. So no one is to work with this film until we negotiate our situation with them. So Evans and is getting all these calls that no these locations disappeared. The uh, the the Teamsters are not gonna work with them. There's gonna be no drivers, there's gonna be no workers that we can pick up. So his first thought was like, All right, we'll shoot it on the lot and no in, location. In, in yeah, no which
0: they never right. Coppola would have never allowed that. How could you shoot that movie on a lot? <laughs> he,
2: he, he he said, you can shoot it on a lot in Hollywood. I'm not going to do the film unless it's in New York. Right. And Ruddy backed that. Ruddy oh, stood yeah. firm. And he backed that it had to be done in New York City. And that, that's when they knew they had to go meet with Joe. And for Joe, you know, a lot of people look at it like, well, he took the words Mafia and the Cosa Stratus script. What did that really do? Well, you, you have to look at the micro and then step back and look at the macro what he explained to his son was that anthony this isn't about taking two words out of a script this is a public engagement of the italian american civil rights league and a powerhouse film company from hollywood paramount making an agreement and we will publicize this agreement and people will know that we have the power to change things in media and you know that's a big statement to make it's not about the words it's The bigger picture and joe was always thinking five years ahead ten years ahead unfortunately the demise you know wouldn't allow us to see the the fruits of that labor and what would have you know really been as a relationship with film companies and the italian american civil rights league what did you uh uh,
1: think that joe colombo thought was going to be his sanction for not listening to his bosses i mean was his ego that was he ego driven to that point was he getting power? Hung? He was a powerful guy with this, you know, powerful guy, period. But once right. he got involved with the American Civil, uh, Civil Rights League, I mean, he he
2: was running his city. I mean, he was. Did, did he get thirsty for their drunk with that power? It's it's, it's mean, a question I've racked in my head for many, many months while writing the book. And then another thought, you know, that came to my mind only was that. Did he know that his his fate was sealed yeah, by exactly. going public? You know, and then he just said, I'm going to get as much work done as I can before whatever happens to me happens. And there's a great passage in my book when Anthony and him are riding to the upstate home in Blooming Grove from the city during a lot of league activity. This is about maybe a month before the Unity Day shooting. And Anthony and him got into an argument because he knew that he needed to stop doing this stuff and he wasn't doing it. And he told Anthony, get out of the car, walk home. Get, get out of the effing car. And uh, that was one other thing I wanted to bring up. Joe never really cursed. They have really? the VC continuously cursing, and it was something that that Joe just didn't do. Um, so, this story of, of the family, uh, I think him and Jojo got into a, a big, heated argument over his involvement because it was just it was a lot of chatter. And, you know, Gianni, you know about that. You know, there was a lot of people oh. talking about him being in the media spotlight that was was not favored. No, oh, no, not at
0: all. No, it's uh, and, and then again the other thing that I was because I knew you know I knew I know uh, Joe DeChico I know everybody that was in that family, especially even even uh, you know Junior and all these guys are all well you know we we they're all dead now but the bottom line is I was wondering who's going to try to make a move on Joe to take the position over and go see because that's how Joe, you know, the history of Joe. That's how he got the family, right? Because when the pofacci's were going to try to kill Gambino, he told them,
2: yeah. So yeah, that was Banano's plan thwarted. They 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 actually open up the offer with that, which is another thing I would love to fix for them. I wish they just reached out because for nothing I would have given them clues on how to make this more interesting. So they open up with Bonanno, uh sitting down Joe and telling them that he has to put the hit out on Gambino and, and you know, he'll get a seat at the commission. Oh, wow. The truth was, it, it was, it was Melioch. Yeah, they open with it. The offer opens with Joe Colombo and Bonanno. So That's interesting. The, wow. The true story, Profaci was already passed away. Melioch was actually running the Profaci family. Right. The Gallo conflict was still in, it was still happening. And when Malyuk went to Colombo, who was a, a trusted person to take out Gambino, the thing that he never knew was that Gambino had been mentoring him since he was 14 years old, since since his father was killed in Brooklyn. His Gambino and Joe Colombo's father were were very close friends. They lived a block away from each other in Sheep'shead Bay, right. and Joe was mentored by him behind the curtain. No one really knew. What was happening with that relationship, especially because you see, if you look at the, the crime side of it, that Joe goes into the Colombo family or the Profaci family and right. not the Gambino family. And that was all purposeful. One of the things I've always said after doing all the research with him is that. That was I, Gambino's I think, plan subconsciously. Or <laughs> I just, possibly Joe Colombo's plan bec- because he sought his father's killers. Right. And they were all in that group. You know, so to get in that group and, and have access to those stories and be around those, you know, keep your keep your enemies closer, um, not pinning any murders on him. But in 1967 and 1968, which is about uh, 30 years after his father was murdered, six of the men, these were older men, all died that year that were involved in his father's slaying. Right. You know, so there was a there was a. A retribution and there was a you know a revenge factor to possibly why joe got involved in the rackets to begin with
1: that character could have been made so much deeper than what they portrayed in that film and that's that's a crime yeah uh, it's
2: especially there's a,
0: there's a new new project for you right there
2: yeah yeah i i mean we've we definitely love to go out with it both forms documentary and and you know limited series i think If you remember Man of Honor years ago, um, so that was our agent, rest in peace, Mickey Freiberg, who repped Banano also. He was the agent on the Columbo book when I was writing it. And unfortunately, he passed away right when I finished the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But his plan for this was always to get a docuseries going and then – Follow up the docu series with a mini series or a limited series um, on but, all the I'm, chapters. I'm, you know, I'm
0: even thinking bigger than that because after Godfather one was such a success, they brought Godfather two out to show you how it started. That was which
2: was amazing. But yeah. this
0: could be to know what Joe Colombo's mission that, was.
2: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, because his his youth is is so tumultuous. I mean, he he. He was 14. He was on the streets of Brooklyn. His mother was so scared after the murder, she moved to California with his sister. So he was he was on the streets of Brooklyn, staying at his aunt's house, staying at a grandmother's house. And, uh, just got involved in the rackets from the time he was a teenager. Yeah. How old was show when he died? Um, this is bad that I don't know this answer. He was 43 in 19. So he was probably 50. Well, when he died, so he was shot. And then he lingered in a coma for, for seven five years. years. Five or yeah, seven. Se- yeah. So that it was nineteen. It was 1978 when he passed away, which would have... He was born in 1923. What's the math on that? 33, 43, 53, 73. He was... 55? 55? Yeah. 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 53,
1: 63, 73. 55 years old. Yeah. Had he have uh, slept around, uh, he would have been... Uh, He he could have been the man, you know. Come, uh, uh, get when did Gambino die?
2: 72?
0: 72, yeah. Well, Gambino, he could have never been because O'Neill got stepped over with Paul Castellano. That was inside, nobody else was taking that position,
2: yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. for the Gambino family. No, Dr. So Gambino was actually in the mid seventies. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was, it was 75 or 76 right. when he passed. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you've certainly opened up a lot of eyes, Don. <laughs>
0: But Don, I think you got a major project. I think we we just no, I, I, to me We got to keep
2: talking. We 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 need to sit down and have some some coffee, and you introduce me to some of your amazing Hollywood friends. Well,
0: My Hollywood it, friends don't do anything for you, believe me. It's just you have to have the fajous and, and balls like we have. That's what we get done.
1: Well, that's I'm looking the forward side. to reading. I'm really looking forward to reading this book. I mean, as soon as we stop recording tonight, I'm on Amazon. It sounds fascinating.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm also um, very grateful for coming on the show to discuss this. The offer, I still haven't finished the whole series yet, so I'm going to keep watching. And well, nobody see how has. It
0: you only yeah. have three episodes up that
2: you. Oh, can they do. are. They're not streaming it all at once. Okay. All right. They're no. Stretched but- out. It's ten. Yeah, okay. Ten episodes. But
1: okay, Don. Uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, gracing us with your presence. I mean, this is really
2: enlightening. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me, Pat and Gianni. Thank you for uh, for putting me on so quickly.
0: No, okay, I mean, it's it, so interesting. In fact, my thought just unsolved. came to me without even talking to Pat. Once you see the whole series, I'd like to have you back on, right, Pat? Him, uh,
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Just, just uh, because, okay. you know, like us, we we know about it. Right. Um, from different viewpoints. And so okay, far, one, the this. reviews we've heard are terrible.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Uh, once again, uh, Don, the name of your book is Columbo, The Unsolved M- uh, Murder by Don Capria and uh, Ed, uh, Anthony Edward Colombo. Yes. Uh, definitely pick it up. It sounds very interesting, to say the least. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Pat. Thank you both. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man. Please.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a fast break, and we're coming back with a mailbag. Today's show is being sponsored by Owned Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Caudillone Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces. Modern tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself com. That's Leon, Italian.com. Okay, we're back for the Pat, and I love this part of the show, the mailbag. We get an opportunity to hear what you all are thinking about, what you'd like us to talk about, and uh, tell your friends, because this is an intricate part of what we do and why we do it, is to hear from There's, you. We
1: are fountains of information. Please. All right, here we go. This is from Tanya. Uh, I'm not sure if this is possible. I don't know what's coming now here. Okay. I'm not sure if this is possible, but I thought I would ask. My husband, Mike, is a true and de- dedicated fan of yours, obviously. No one knows who I am. Anyway, I'm I'm wondering if that uh, there is an opportunity to have Mr. Russo come to a small house party. I am thinking of, uh, Late June or early July for my husband's birthday.
0: Well, I mean that. Uh, let's talk about it.
1: <laughs> well, well, first of all,
0: well, first of all, where do you live?
1: <laughs> if you live on Sixty Third Street on the East Side, <laughs> it's a short walk, you know. But anyway, you answered your question.
0: No, I mean just uh, write me an email. And should uh, you, how it, should we do this, Pat? Should I give my personal email, No
1: uh no i tell you what uh tanya who will be listening to this show next week uh write to the same email address that you uh, wrote, wrote this email to with some more information where is this party
0: and and how we how do we get in touch with you
1: yeah well i have an email address all right yeah okay let's find out
0: where that is first because maybe it's impossible
1: yeah I'm sure if you're available, Johnny, you'd be happy to go.
0: I'd be, yes.
1: This is a fan. I mean, after all, we are nothing except for our fans. All right, okay. Perfect. Second question. Uh, this is from Vinny. George was a great listener. Uh, uh, that was George, uh, the Hollywood, what's his last name? I uh, forgive forgotten.
0: George Pecoraro.
1: Pecoraro, how can I forget that? It's almost uh, similar I to know. my name. Anyway, uh, George was a great listener, and I hope to hear a lot uh, mm. more from him. Uh, I'm getting pop-ups here. Excuse me, folks. I'm blocking out the email. Okay. Uh, I hope to hear a lot uh, uh, more from him as part of the show between he and Gianni. I could listen to them for hours about their lifetime experience.
0: Thank you. Yeah, Who was that? Nice. Who was that guy? That was from Vinny. Vinny. Hey, Vinny. Oh, okay. Vinny, Yo, Vinny. All right. Uh,
1: next. All right. This is from William. Hello, Mr. Russo. I have enjoyed uh, many of your interviews. I am an historian and writer based in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. I just uh, bear with me here. pop ups keep on popping up, blocking out these emails. All right. Uh, I am a uh, historian uh, and writer based in Los Angeles. I just finished a book manuscript um, many years in the making. I need a few photo identifications that you may be able to help me with. So here comes the, the question or the background. My book is about four young Los Angeles amateur boxers who went to the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. One of my boxers, the late, great Jackie Fields, went on to become a welterweight champion of the world in 1929. In the early 1950s. Fields moved to Las Vegas and was among the original investors in the Tropicana. He would be associated with the casino for many years as a pit boss and greeter. I have a few three to four photographs of Fields in a casino in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, given to me by his daughter, Michelle Fields, Sharp. and uh, need help identifying people. If you think you he can help, uh, please send me an email. I'll be most appreciative. Well, we can say the same thing to uh, William, as we said to to, uh, Tonya. Well, the thing is,
0: I knew Jackie Fields, because while he was working there, he was working for Costello, and that's in the 70s is when I had my Tiffany's Club there. I knew Jackie Fields.
1: So what does he want us to do? I'm going to advise William to send us the pictures, the same email address where you sent this email, and Johnny will see them. Yeah, and and I'll tell you who's in them. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it works. Yep. Uh, so, how old did you know this guy?
0: Um, I knew him, geez, I knew him about 20 years. Wow. Jackie Fields.
1: Small world. Yep. Okay. This one is for from uh, Maria Elena. Oh, love that name. Could you please send me information on Gianni's Columbus Day show in Atlantic City?
0: Resorts International. Resorts International, October 8th. Call one a, show, two shows? The show, that's the show. Johnny, Rizzo, I'm in the main showroom.
1: No, I mean uh, one show that night or two?
0: Just one show. No, no, one show. All right, that answers that.
1: That may be the last one for the evening.
0: Yeah, I mean, yep. all our audiences, if you are interested in coming to that show, contact the casino, ticket tickets or whatever, or if you have a casino host and make your reservation. It's Columbus Day weekend, and I'm sure it's gonna be sold out.
1: Do you think they can get the tickets to Ticketmaster? That's usually the route people go.
0: I, th- I think they, it's too early yet, but I think oh, yeah. uh, whoever is, runs that, I mean, I know everybody there, but I mean, whoever they have, just call the box office. Tell me you want tickets.
1: Okay, then. Well, that's it for the emails for this evening.
0: All right, well, great. I wish we had more to answer, but we don't. Thank you all for tuning in again. We have a great show coming up next week. We can't tell you what it's about, but I guarantee you it's gonna be exciting. Pat, another great show. Thank you, my
1: friend. Okay, Gianni, you have a very good evening and I'll see you next week. Good night, everybody.
0: Good night, everybody. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call man Thank you for
1: tuning man. in to the Hollywood Godfather Podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, HollywoodGodfatherPodcast.com which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at HollywoodGodfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, What you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood as well as answers to your messages. Good
0: night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me, and I'll be around. I'll be around.